Ahoy! You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. Today, we're thrilled to be chatting with Bob Guzman, a Web3 executive at large. We're talking product design and crypto and how it has evolved since Bitcoin's fledgling days. How design principles differ from TradFi and what type of crypto products still catch on, even in the current bear market. Enjoy! All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everyone. For those who didn't hear it before, good morning! Today is... Isla's Bambino's first birthday, so it's a very exciting day around here. So for some of you who are new, here's what you can expect. This is a weekly event. This is our 127th um, one of them. We're going to ever so briefly talk about Diffuse Tap, the event you're in right now, and then talk about Diffuse and why we do these things. Then we're going to have the expert speaker du jour, Mr. Bob Guzman, share a little bit of his wisdom. It's just scratch the surface for 15 minutes. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout room networking, kind of like just what you kind of like what you just did. The reason we do that is this is first and foremost a networking event. So it's a chance for you to meet alternative investors from literally all over the world. But we do like you to learn a bit and people like Mr. Guzman on to uh, share some of their thoughts. If you do like the networking aspect of this, we do have in-person versions of this at a bar, fewer speakers. Next one's November 2nd in LA, hosted by Mr. Rob Mowry. And then there's another one in Miami, November 28th, hosted by Mr. Scott Mandel. So if you're in either of those areas or can be, come check it out. It's a pretty casual event. Yeah. Oh, I might need to mention that uh, the one in Miami Apparently, there's an NFT being given away by Scott, so that could be interesting. There you go. Get a celebratory NFT. Um, why do we do this? Diffuse is a fund platform. We've got a couple crypto funds. One is a market neutral yield farming, actually gradually becoming a prop trading market making type strategy. And the other one is an index fund that we're in the process of listing. Just as soon as we and or FINRA get their act together and approve it. But enough about that. Mr. Guzman, I am, as always, crap with introductions. Would you mind unmuting yourself and telling everybody about your background and what you're up to? Sure. Um, Thank you, Kenny. Um, My name is Bob Guzman. I've been in the, um, I guess, the financial markets for, well, a long time, a little over 25, perhaps going on 30 years, depending on how you count. all but the last three years have been in the traditional space. So I sort of come at the markets from a um, from the buy side perspective. I had a, a t- 10 years, first 10 years of my career was on the sell side. Um, last 20 odd were on the buy side. So I come at it from the perspective of an institutional asset management focus. Um, so think of pension plans, insurance companies, sovereign wealth funds, endowments, foundations, th- th- that type of an investor with that type of a perspective and focus. Um, I began to become very interested in, the, in the, the blockchain technology and all of the things that I, how I thought that would change the world that I knew, the traditional world. And, um, you know, after 20 odd years, it sort of got a little bit boring traditional space. So I wanted a new challenge and I was looking to have a marriage of my financial experience and background with the right technology to um, to enter into this new new world. And so in the last couple of years, that's what I've been focusing on. Most recently, I was at a, a, a brand new startup, uh, Cloudwall. It was a it's a digital asset risk management um, portfolio system. And um, I, I left them at the beginning of July, and um, I'm in the process of starting up my own 
uh, project with a couple of found, two more founders um, that hopefully, hopefully we will launch before year end, maybe as soon as um, beginning of December. Also, again, un unsurprisingly in that portfolio asset management realm. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing some details on your background. We're going to toss you right in the deep end here. Uh, what has been kind of the evolution of crypto products specifically over the last, say, two, three years? There's a, you know, a surge of greed followed by an immense level of fear in the last six to nine months. What has been kind of the evolution of crypto products recently? I, I, it's a great question. I think the evolution of the products is sort of beginning to follow the evolution of the market. Um, you know, I guess originally, and perhaps even to an extent as we speak, the market was it, it has been dominated by individuals. You know, if you caught the market right, yes, there have been you know crypto winters, and there have been periods where of great volatility where the markets have dropped meaningfully. But for the most part, it's been a retail marketplace. If you were early enough, you had great gains that you could weather a lot of pain because your entry prices and the levels you got in, you know, afforded you mark-to-market losses, but not real losses. And I would say, and, and that was fine. It all came down to your timing and, um, you know, your your risk appetite. And in the last, I don't know, let's say 12 to 18 months, as the drum has begun beating loudly, more loudly for um, institutional participation, I think that's forcing a natural change in, in um, and of course, the, the market dynamics of much of 2022, let's say from April, to, to date has not been very favorable. You've had a lot of new participants that are suffering significant losses. You've had a lot of hiccups along the way with various um, protocols failing and, and um, you know, really casting into doubt the viability of um, certain types of borrowing and lending, certain types of um, stable coins. And, you know, I'm we're not, not meaning to digress into any of that, but I think all of that is, has provided a backdrop the institutional players have not really entered. Yes, folks are starting hedge funds, and yes, folks are beginning to dip their toes, but it, it, it's really nothing to, to really talk about yet. And so the, the products, how this is informed products, I think most of the products have consisted of, you know, systems like, you know, like Coinbase, really centralized exchanges where a user can go on and see their portfolio and get, you know, see their holdings and see the profit and loss of their holdings. You really, it really hasn't evolved much from that. And yes, you can go on various borrowing and lending protocols um, where you can stake, do whatever it is that you want to do and, you know, get a sense of the 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 P&L, if you will, the, the price dynamics of um, your various positions. It hasn't, the um, lay of land hasn't evolved yet to where people, the marketplace is thinking of, well, what is the risk of my portfolio? But it's beginning, people are beginning to think about that. It's not a natural thought for an individual. An individual tends to think of, you know, I'm invested in crypto or I'm invested in stocks. What's the PL? How much money have I made or lost today? They don't tend to think about their exposures. Well, most of them don't tend to think about their exposures to different sectors in, in, the, in the case of digital assets, to, to different protocols, to, to different exchanges, um, to, to however, you know, to even wallet risk, smart contract risk. Some individuals haven't yet started to think that way. There isn't a lot of institutional participation 
to really begin to you know breathe life into that. But it's coming, and there are already a few, a few firms. Hopefully, the one I'm going to be starting is focused squarely in that space. The one I just left is beginning to pose similar type questions about, you know, we need to think about what is the risk in my portfolio? What am I facing? What are the drivers of my return? And so the evolution from a product perspective is is really just beginning. And I think that's quite normal. If you look at really, um, you look at the birth of hedge funds, you know, you take that back to 1995, hedge funds really weren't in the institutional space. You mainly had wealthy individuals invest in hedge funds. It was only once they they started, there really weren't systems, there really weren't portfolio management systems to really understand what was happening in hedge funds. And as that market matured and more institutional participation, the, the market forced more um, analysis, more risk management, more um, uh, transparency. And I think we're seeing the same thing in, in digital assets now. So we quote Matt Levine a lot around here, and uh, one of his uh, lines is that crypto is really just taking all the lessons of financial services and relearning them in about a 10 to 20 year period and kind of reinventing a lot of what is already out there. Is that, do you share that that line of reasoning or do you share that thought process? And, you know, some of the products, you know, structured products are starting to see, we're getting derivatives. It just seems like we're just doing all of the same steps that financial services yeah. did. No? It, 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 this is going to sound a little bit, um, especially given my background, a little maybe heretical. Um, I, I think if you, um, while I don't disagree with any of that, I, I disagree with the pace. Um, I think the way I look at it is that some of the biggest improvements and enhancements that the, you know blockchain technology can bring is not 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 to the assets and the types of assets but more to the middle and back office if you look at the financial system and the greatest risks the traditional financial system runs is one of settlement is the time delay in settlement you know i'm sending you money but i'm not me bob and you're not you kenny but we're we're two institutional players you're a bank i'm an asset management firm and i'm waiting for my several million dollars and i hope you're going to pay me and I hope you're going to deliver what I just bought, but I'm going to have to wait maybe two days or three days or in the old days, five days. And during that interim period, there's risk. What if you default? And there are some examples of that. So I really think that that's, it's the plumbing. It's the infrastructure where the biggest gains. It's like building a house from scratch. As you can tell from my background, I'm in a room that's being renovated. Um, so I think it's quite apt. Um, it's it's that infrastructure where the greatest improvements are going to be made, the foundation that we're going to build upon. Um, if I, That to me was the attraction of it originally, what caused me to want to get into this space. I, I, I'm a bit surprised at, at the speed of evolution of things. When you look at some of the spectacular failures over the you know, spring and early summer, um, they weren't due to the complexity of, of the assets being traded. I mean, they're, they're quite trivial. It was, you, you, again, one man's view, you, you, you weren't asking basic questions that anyone who's done this before would have asked. You didn't properly stress test. You didn't properly say what would happen if. So none of the things that anybody that has spent 10 years in the field would have naturally asked of any exchange or any type of what does it mean to be a stable coin? What is it? What, what are the ins and outs of an algorithmic stable coin? Not not so much from the fact that wow, this is really cool and the coding is really neat and arguably the mathematics are robust. It, it really hadn't been properly tested in periods of dislocation. So, blank sheet of paper. If I were de designing the digital asset space, I would have bedded down spot assets. I would have said I need to have a functioning spot marketplace. By that I mean Bitcoin, Ether. 
tokens, I wouldn't have begun to consider concern myself about derivatives because until I have my foundation working seamlessly, adding levels of derivatives and complexity is just compounding the problem. Um, I would have a proper functioning, um, the equivalent of a repo market where I can go long and short, I can borrow, I can lend. I would have spent time developing an interest rate market. You know, right now, there really isn't the concept of a fixed rate market. There's a concept of a, you know, fluctuating, you know, by the minute type of floating rate market. So it doesn't allow for the underpinnings of a proper debt market. And without a proper debt market, you have nothing. Now, again, I'm biased. I come from the fixed income market. But without that, I, as a lender or a borrower, don't know my exposures. If I want to be fixed, I don't know my borrowing costs until I have that. How can I build derivatives on that? Well, I can't. I don't really know how to price them. So again, I think the marketplace got ahead of itself because, well, let's be honest, it's just a lot cooler and more exciting to be talking about derivatives than it is to be talking about some of the boring stuff I just spent five minutes highlighting. Very good. This is a nice little overview. We have some phenomenal questions here in the chat, and I'm just going to toss those right at you. Um, Bob, why do you think the digital finance providers like BlockFi and Celsius and Voyager, why are not required to possess any form of kind of risk management collateral in the same way that a TradFi firm is? Uh, there's no kind of minimum collateral requirements. There's kind of no check on their collateral. Previous, there wasn't at least. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it took a whole collapse for them to get to this? I'm, I'm trying to think of a political, trying to think of a politically correct way of answering that. Oh, don't, um, don't. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's my problem. I usually don't, and that gets me always in a bit of trouble. Um, there's, I can't think of a nice way. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, and again, one man's view, and I am biased, um, unless you've spent time in an exchange, working in a traditional exchange, fixed income or equity, unless you understand margin, unless you've understood, you know, if you watch trading places, the movie. Um, and if you reflect upon it and actually understand why it went so poorly for the uh, two older gentlemen when there was a margin call and how that actually can happen and when it does what it actually means. If, you, if that's not, if you're not intimate with that, if you don't really know what that means, you have absolutely no business starting an exchange. I don't care how clever you are. I don't care how any of those things, how well you code. If you don't have that practical sense of how things can go wrong quickly in the blink of an eye, and once they do, it doesn't matter how clever the algorithm is, it's going to fail. But I guarantee you it will fail. And if you don't have margin, if you don't have intraday margining, if you don't have that ability to do proper scenario analysis, and what if the wheels come off this car, what's going to happen? And just like in you know trading places, they had margin. And eventually, the losses exceeded the margin. It's what happened to Bear Stearns. It's what happens when it goes wrong. You People didn't think of that because why would they? They had no experience in the space. They were very clever, right time, right place. You know, you look at um, FTX, you know, not that that enjoyed any of the problems of some of the others, no, but, you know, they were in the right place, right time. They noticed arbitrage opportunities. They took advantage of arbitrage opportunities, incredibly made a lot of money, and from that spun out an exchange. Managed to sidestep some of the mistakes, but again, it, it, you know, that's just a, a, an example. I think a lot of this has, was due to the fact that you started running before you learned how to crawl. 
So what I'm hearing is we need the Dukes to get into crypto. Uh, check. Um, so a lot of these questions about risks, and you touched on some of them already. Um, the risks are very different in uh, in crypto land versus TradFi. Um, you don't have often where somebody just absconds with a bunch of money that you can't find and cannot track. So how do you quantify these? Try to put your you know investor side hat on. How do you actually figure out and quantify and work these types of risks into your model? This is Scott's question. Yeah, I, I think it's a real, it's a great question. I think it's a very open question. I think, um, in, the, in maybe by analogy, in the in the traditional space, if you had an equity portfolio or a fixed income portfolio, you'd understand the volatility, you'd understand the risks of the assets. We could do some scenario analysis. We could look about what it was like in 2008, 1986, you know, any of the, the real highlights when the market was in stress. And we could get a good handle on how your portfolio would have behaved if it were to experience something similar. Um, we never talk about what if the New York Stock Exchange failed. It's a perfectly valid question. It could happen. It would be extremely unlikely that that would happen. If it did happen, the Federal Reserve would come into the rescue. The Treasury would come to the rescue. It would never be allowed to fail. So you've got backstops that prevent such an outcome. But it certainly could happen. The Chicago Board of Trade could have failed back in the day. The CME, any of these things could have happened. But as a risk manager, you know, in the traditional space, I never even considered that as a possibility because it was unthinkable. And if it did happen circa 08, circuit breakers were kicked off and people rightly or wrongly provided liquidity and enough liquidity gets you out of just about any problem short term. Ultimately, you pay the piper, but in the short term, you survive. In, in, in crypto, with the proliferation of different protocols, different AMMs, different, you know, um, the concepts of smart contracts and what does that mean? This is all new. And uh, again, it's that... Um, well, you know, the, the, the horse has escaped, right? It's no longer in the barn. So now it's just like, well, you have this huge proliferation of um, of ways that one can invest their money. You can stake, lend, borrow, you know, different types of exchanges, something called a smart contract that I don't think most people really understand what it is. And some very clever people find ways of hacking it and exploiting it. And, you know, you know, arguably in the grand scheme, that's a healthy thing, right? The more exposures that are found and highlighted, you know, holes will be filled, people will do better job next time. I think if from a risk management perspective, it's you need to understand the protocol that you're engaging with to the extent that one can do due diligence on smart contracts to the extent you have transparency in there and you can actually, you know, see the code. And, you know, again, I'm speaking beyond my area of expertise, but I think you need to really understand how that particular smart contract is working or is supposed to work. How is that AMM working? What type of if you question such as what type of due diligence has been done if there is if we experience again some of the things that were experienced um, back in the spring and early summer of 22 what would be the knock on effect how you know again you you, don't, you you know when something goes wrong you don't sell what you want to sell you sell what you can and I think we saw that play out over the spring and summer so I think it's questions like that it's very hard to say it's amenable to mathematical analysis. I don't think there's a grand theory that one could apply that would help gain insight into some of these, you know, um, uh, protocol or um, exchange related risks other than, you know, in the traditional world, you would have people come in and do operational due diligence, you would do investment due diligence. So this really falls into the area of operational due diligence, that area of risk management. Again, this is really premature for digital assets. 
but you're going to see the development and the birth of, of, of ODD, operational due, due diligence groups. And, and there are some, there are already beginning that's starting to happen. I just think that will become more commonplace. That's amazing. Well, we barely scratched the surface of this topic, but unfortunately, we do need to hop into a breakout room. So thank you, Mr. Guzman. Uh, when we come back, we'll always ask the same question, which is going to be appropriate for you. Um, what is coming down the pipe? Tell us the future. Get your crystal ball ready. Tell us what you're excited for. And as always, brownie points if it's something the audience hasn't heard about. But some housekeeping items for the breakout room. First off, it is a networking, not pitching. Please be respectful of that and um, each other. Yeah, do that. Uh, we don't do a full participant list. So if you meet somebody you want to connect with, swap your details then and there or join our Telegram group. I did see Isla chuck the link in the old chatteroony. So feel free to click it, join us, introduce yourself, ask for something in particularly networking because that's how the audience skews. And I will pop you into rooms right this moment. Um, expect to be with another four or five folks just like yourselves. Uh, all of them, of course, investors in various alternative investment projects. Um, I will give you a little topic, but don't feel beholden to it. Uh, what are the kinds of product features that you believe these days should be mandatory? Is that AML and KYC? Is that kind of declaration of your location? What are the things that you think would make crypto kind of a safer place and should now be included in all products? Um, I'll pop you into rooms and we'll see you back here in about 10 minutes. All right, rock and roll. Welcome back, everybody. Um, Mr. Guzman, as Threaten, please tell us the future. What are you excited for what's coming down the pipe? And as a reminder, everybody who's not Mr. Guzman, please stay on mute in the big room here. <laughs> well, um, it's, a, it's a great question. I'm not going to pretend I have the answer. Um, but what, what I think is really needed, um, I try to simplify things a little bit. I try to go back to, to basics a little bit. I'd slow down, I'd slow down the level of sophistication of development. I wouldn't be so gung-ho into, into, you know, structured products or derivatives. I I'd focus a bit more on, you know, um, infrastructure. I think I would, I think the most clever advancements that are going to be made, we need a, we need a functioning fixed income market that is purely digital. We need to have borrowing and lending that go out 30 years. We, we need to understand now, once upon a time in the traditional world, you only had either fixed debt or floating debt from thinking circa, you know, 60s, 70s, even into the early 80s, you, you would either issue fixed or you'd issue floating and that's all you could do. And yes, you could go out as far as people would be willing to lend you money. It wasn't until there was some clever thinking about swapping floating for fixed payments and the benefits from a hedging or a speculative perspective, or from the, the, the issuer's perspective of having certainty from building a business, what my rates are, my expenses, that, that change when it came transformed finance as we know it. We need that analog in the digital space. We need the concept of a fixed rate. There can't be different, you know, rates. Um, there can't be different rates on every different protocol. I mean, that's not functioning. You need there's a there's a in the traditional world you have the U.S. Treasury market in in the United States, and that is the benchmark. That is the um, the risk-free rate. Now we can debate whether it's truly risk-free, but purposes of this discussion, let's assume the US government's not going to fail. It is the rate upon which all else is measured. So if I'm pricing structures, if, I, if I'm a corporation, I want to bring to market a, a bond, 
I'm going to reference it to the treasury market. That same simple analogy must exist in a digital space. What is the risk-free rate? I think when we figure that out, and there are folks doing that, as we discussed, there's some really cool folks, you know, really smart folks thinking about that. I think that's going to be transformative. That's when it goes from being a hobby to being something pretty cool to actually a full-fledged functioning replacement for traditional finance. Love it. That risk-free rate is uh, one of the key variables for CAPM. So we aren't even there yet. So yeah, we got a long way to go for sure. Ayla, you want to do another breakout room? Yeah, let's do it. I'll pop you into rooms now. And uh, feel free to expand on Bob's thoughts on risk-free rates and what kind of infrastructure under this crypto ecosystem should be in order for us to get to the next level. See you back here in 10 minutes. All right, folks, welcome back. We're going to do a quick wrap-up. Out of here right at the top of the hour. Friendly reminder, this is a uh, weekly event. So same time next week. Not your keys, not your crypto, uh, security in crypto. That's a major, 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 major issue that I don't, I haven't really seen an amazing solution for. Uh, as a reminder, in-person versions of this event are Mish once a month, November 2nd in LA, hosted by Robert Mowry, and then November 28th in Miami with Mr. Mandel. And the latter, I believe, Isla said that there's going to be an NFT that you get if you actually show up. So you should do that. Telegram, join it, ask for something, introduce yourself. It's a pretty, pretty lively community. So go check that out. Um, Isla. Any talking points I didn't do? No, I think you hit up on everything. We look forward to having you all back here on the dot next week, same time. And Mr. Guzman, before you go, is there anything, including the potentially still secret project that you're working on that you would like to plug for being a good speaker here today? No, I just want to thank you guys for having me. It's been great questions, you know, great conversation, you know, in the big group as well as the breakout groups. Um, you know, guys, you can find, I've yet to figure out, um, I'm on Telegram. Um, I've yet to figure out Discord. I just haven't ventured there yet, but find me on LinkedIn. Please connect. Love to carry on, continue some of these conversations. Amazing. Thank you very much for your time and your wisdom. And thank you everybody else for showing up. It doesn't work without you. And we love you all. Have Thank a you so great much. week. We'll bye see bye. You in whatever, a little less than seven days. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. That's all, folks. Hope you learned something new. If you join us on Zoom every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, you can also network with other fascinating alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five. Learn more on our website at www.diffusefunds.com. Until next time. 